The power of love. No control over suffering. Hello, my name is Stephen Russell Lacey. This is the fourth podcast of a series exploring spiritual questions, asking about suffering and why life is so unfair. One of the great questions of life. I've previously concluded that suffering is caused by human selfishness. But nevertheless, suffering can serve a use. Also, that suffering is balanced by providential life force. Now, I ask, if there really were a power of love behind the universe, why does it not stop widespread suffering in the world? The struggle to find a compelling argument for the existence of both pain and disease and a loving, powerful God puts many people off religion. Have we not heard someone say something like, I have a hard time believing that a good God would allow so much evil or suffering in the world, and how a divine being of power and justice could allow even innocent children to suffer terribly and die, puzzles even many with a strong religious faith today. Of course, the atheist would answer in a simple way. Richard Dawkins wrote River Out of Eden. In it, he says, In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. In contrast to that attitude, I believe a more meaningful answer is explicitly presented by a theologian, Emanuel Swedenborg. It is to do with the nature of love itself. When we truly love someone, we want them to be happy. So love cannot care for nothing. It has affection for something other than itself. Otherwise, it would be merely self-concern and not love at all. If the universal power of love created human beings to be happy, this would mean our living in peace, in contentment and joy. Instead, many of us seem to be uneasy, discontented or fed up. The spiritual perspective is to say, no lasting happiness comes when we focus our mind on the illusory rewards of selfishness, on the rewards of bodily pleasures, as the be-all and the end-all of daily living. In contrast, to be deeply happy, we need to change our outlook and adopt new attitudes, having consideration for others rather than being self-serving, being concerned for the ethics of living, rather than for bodily indulgence. 
So, if the loving energy behind the universe is power to make the stars, the planets, and life itself, it is the power of love. Notice, it is not the love of power. A love of power would be wanting to get your own way, to make someone do what you want, even if you think they will benefit. In contrast, the power of love comes from the effectiveness of love itself. It wants to give itself. We see its ability to move the spirit, to offer help, guide, inspire and encourage. The power of love to overcome selfishness and hate is not through the use of force to compel. Selfless love never destroys. Rather, its power comes from the use of non-retaliation, from concern for others, and from an accepting and forgiving attitude. Yes, we might suppose that a God of love would miraculously take away our pain or other types of suffering, but this would be counterproductive, according to Swinburne's philosophy. He wrote, It is the intent of the Lord's divine providence that we act in freedom and in accord with reason. Both of these abilities in us would be destroyed if miracles happened and we were forced into belief by them. No, I would say the spirit of love does not force itself. You can't make anyone be kinder and more considerate. Kids never learn if their schoolwork is done for them. They need to take some responsibility themselves for their learning. Good parenting gives growing children freedom to find, find out what sports and hobbies and jobs they are suited to. Yes, protect their safety, but stifling them by controlling everything they do would be counterproductive. Love allows freedom for youngsters to develop as individuals even if this means making mistakes along the path towards good sense and understanding of the ways of the world. So we do not necessarily blame parents, even though teenagers may sometimes suffer as a result of their own foolhardy experiments in living. Like our parent, I would say that the God of love respects our autonomy. Again, Swinburne wrote, it is a law of divine providence that we should act freely and rationally, that everything we intend, think, say and do seems to be on our own, that if it did not seem so, nothing would be ours, not even ourselves. So we would have no sense of self and therefore no sense of worth. And without this, it would make no difference whether we did evil or good. You can't make someone love you back. You can't buy love by lavishing gifts or spoiling someone, whether you be a parent or a lover. And even if you did try, the other person wouldn't respond with real love anyway. We can manipulate someone to try to get them to like us, but any positive feelings will only be skin deep. When we fall in love, we want the person we love to genuinely love us too. We want them to freely return our affection. Similarly, the spirit of love, we 
behind all things, wants us to be free to think and feel as we each wish. It allows us to intend and think well or badly as we please. As Swinburne says, it is this intent that makes whatever we think and say and intend and do seem to be our own. So, I'm suggesting that this universal love is not a sentimental feeling. It is a tough love with its own light. It knows what is best for us. It hopes that we learn to take responsibility for how we live our lives and find change ways that can lead to inner happiness. But it doesn't impose any of this on us. It gives us inner freedom to choose for ourselves whether or not to live a spiritual life. Learning to do so, unfortunately, can sometimes involve tough lessons. We might learn the hard way, creating unhappiness in ourselves and others by making selfish choices. True love does not wish to force anyone against their will to conform to his ways. Instead, it inspires and shows us the uplifting and deeply fulfilling delight of mutual concern. For example, Christians believe the power of love is exemplified in the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, like where he makes it clear how we should choose to respond to suffering. There is the story of the Good Samaritan, which focuses on compassion for those who are in great need. Also the promised reward for all those who have fed the hungry, clothed the naked, visited those in prison and cared for the sick. So the power of love works in offering guidance and encouragement to support our learning to live better. And part of the learning is being confronted by the needs of others experiencing the setbacks, the difficulties and hardships of daily life. If we're not to be programmed robots, but human beings, then the difficulty, hardship or misery we cause to others does become a distinct possibility. But also possible is joy, beauty, harmony, peace, contentment. And this surely is the intention for us all. You might see this as a tremendous risk. After all, we humans may not choose the way of love, but rather the way of selfishness. Our choice may be to behave inhumanely in our dealings with each other. The natural world may be greedily exploited rather than respected. We might abuse or show contempt to the vulnerable instead of showing compassion. In other words, our freedom not to love incurs a risk of suffering. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the line The Witch and the Wardrobe, pondered the issue of suffering. He came to understand that it is all about God allowing for human freedom. Because we are free to make bad decisions as well as good ones, suffering is unfortunate but inevitable. And so although the love of God does not desire suffering, he permits it for the sake of human freedom. It is a mistake to assume that whatever suffering God permits, he must want or cause. There is no way anyone could be led out of their selfish thinking if a higher spiritual force prevented their greedy, envious, malicious thoughts. 
We cannot work to set aside what is undesirable in us unless it comes to light. One religious view is that God allows physical and emotional storms to strengthen the anchor, fires to test and harden our metal. If there are going to be bodies with pain nerves, there's going to be pain. As Emmanuel Swedenborg wrote, we are allowed to enter into some natural forms of distress in order that we may be held back by means of them from self-love and love of the world, into which we would otherwise plunge without any restraint. The consequence of the divine spirit of love wanting our freedom is it cannot prevent pain. It cannot prevent misfortune and hardship suffered as the result of our selfish choices. It can and does, however, provide spiritual guidance to show us the errors of our ways. The psalmist said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn from your statutes. The serenity prayer well expresses the attitude of acceptance. Lord, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mindfulness teacher Vidyamala Birch says that mindfulness is the tool that can help us do the last of these, the wisdom to know the difference. When we are suffering from chronic medical condition, Tim Steed, Christian minister, believes that the practice of mindfulness makes space for the God of compassion. He feels this spirit will come to us as we no longer mindlessly dwell on the thoughts about and emotions resulting from our pain. Swedenborg says that providence allows those who are being changed to feel a sense of loss. This is a humbling process. This temporary condition of dejection helps us realise the need to call upon the transpersonal power for help. The unfortunate experience of anxiety and depression encourages us to acknowledge that we cannot hope to conquer the lower forces of the mind by our own power alone. In other words, that in the face of deep adversity, self-sufficiency is a delusion. The way I see it is that when I struggle against the forces of darkness and ask for help from above, state of hope will replace my state of despair. And hope means re-experiencing a spirit of forgiveness from beyond myself. It means feeling a sense of self-acceptance, despite the many mistakes I have unfortunately made. I will expect to feel I belong to a community of people with whose values and goals I can identify. Finding a sense of purpose through the setbacks and confusions of life. Selfishness, then, causes suffering. The divine power of love doesn't stop, but counterbalances self-centered tendencies with kind impulses. In this way, human freedom, whether or not to be selfish, is preserved. Swedenborg wrote, They may receive the perception of good and truth, which perception they are not able to receive until those false persuasions originating in what is their own, are, so to speak, softened, 
and it is a state of distress and grief, even to the point of despair, that effects this change.